is. As you know, the point of a blender is not to uh, destroy expensive and or dangerous things. He also blends glow sticks. <laughs> Turns out you can make uh, you know, incredible Hulk juice. Um, it's green, it glows. Uh, the point is to take two different things and, and that are okay by themselves and blur them together into one great thing that's hopefully a delicious and nutritious treat. One of a blender's neatest tricks is to take two uh, or more things that are good on their own and combine them uh, into something that's even better by itself. And on some level, that's Jesus' plan for the church. That's what Jesus wants for his church, and there was a church in the first century that really lived up to that ideal. If you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. That's where we're going to begin today. We'll look at three different passages. We're going to begin there. For the last several weeks, we've been in a series through the book of Acts, uh, looking at God's blueprint for the church. And so we're looking at how God has planned his church uh, to function and to work. Uh, we're excited to continue that series today. If you're joining us for the first time, if you're, or you're kind of new around here, when we're all done today, I would love to meet you. Uh, I'll be right down front, so please come down here and just introduce yourself. I want to shake your hand and thank you for being here. Uh, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for logging in from wherever you are. If you're local, we'd love to have you visit us uh, here, um, you know, in meat space, not cyberspace. Uh, and if you would take a second, and uh, in the upper right corner of your screen, there's the uh, online connection card. If you would take a second and fill that out, we'd appreciate that, just so we can stay in touch with you. Uh, one other thing, a little bit of housekeeping, a little uh, family news to uh, share with you. For those who didn't see the announcement on Facebook this week, uh, Debbie and I are expecting baby number seven in March. For real, it's not a joke. Yeah, we're excited. Um, we... Uh, we're, we're excited about that. We're, we're uh, I, I be, you know, I was trying to find out for sure. I know it's been at least 47 years since the preaching minister in, at Chapel Rock had a baby, so, um, or his wife did at least. And so uh, we're, we're excited about that. And here's the thing. We just want to obey Jesus. We just want to obey Jesus. And Jesus said, make disciples. <laughs> so... Trying to be obedient, man. Um, <laughs> today I want to draw your attention to a church in the book of Acts, but it may not be the church that you're thinking of. Oh, uh, it's not the Jerusalem church. They were great, but I want to talk about the church at Antioch. Because the church at Antioch had figured out how to do something that, that every church needs to figure out how to do. And, and we're, we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at this church. Our big idea this morning is... It's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. Here, here's the big idea. We are following God's plan when we use the diversity we have in order to accomplish the mission of Jesus to redeem the whole world. It's easy to say, hard to do. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like for us. It really is God's plan for the church. Diversity is part of God's plan for the church. I mean, diversity is his idea anyway. Have you ever seen a platypus? <laughs> I don't know, it's like, probably that's the one he let the angels do, right? You know, like, some of this and some of this, that's weird, man. Anyway, um, the, the, what made the Antioch church so successful is that they had learned how to blend three pairs of things. They learned how to put three pairs of things together in their church experience, and it made them a, an incredibly powerful, mission-minded church. And I want to look at those things today. Look with me at the text, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. 
Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, that's reflecting back on the end of Acts 7, the beginning of Acts 8, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. So these are, you know, ethnocentrically Jewish people, but they're from, they're not from the Jerusalem area. They're from Cyprus and Cyrene, the island of Cyprus and the Mediterranean, and Cyrene, which is in North Africa. They went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. These are people who have no connection with the religion of Israel. Nothing. They're just, you know, secular Greeks. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul, same guy, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now get this, look at this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. There are three blends that we need to see that the Antioch church had learned to do. Here's the first one. They had learned how to blend strategy and relationship. They had learned how to blend strategy and relationship. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. All right? The only two that were bigger were Alexandria in Egypt, where the great library was, and Rome itself. Antioch, in the time of Paul, probably had around 800,000 people, had a Jewish community of anywhere from 30 to 50,000 folks. All right? Now, the town I grew up in, Joplin, Missouri, is about 40,000 people. So, I mean, that's a good-sized community of people there in, in, that, in the much larger city, which is roughly about half the size of the Indy metro area. Okay? Um, it's really diverse. Antioch was probably the most diverse city in the ancient world. They're, they're diverse ethnically. They were diverse religiously, they were diverse uh, politically, people coming from all over, you know, various kinds of uh, governmental systems, and now they're under Roman rule, but they're, they're all their backgrounds are different. They were diverse culturally, they were diverse philosophically, just diversity like crazy, just off the charts in this community. And so these Jewish Christians, they're, they're running away from persecution down near Jerusalem and Judea. They go north to Antioch. And they start telling other Jews about Jesus. Now, let me show you a map, okay? Just, I want you to have some context. Down at the bottom right part of the screen there, there's Jerusalem, okay? And you go up north. This is the road Paul would have taken. He has his Damascus Road experience. Jesus appears to him, and, and he gets saved. Um, and he goes to Antioch, all right? That's where you can see a little further up to the northwest there. There's Tarsus. That's where Paul was from. Uh, and probably he would have been in Antioch at some point in his life. It's not a new town to him. But this is the third largest city in the, in the Roman Empire. Still there. Uh, it's even the name today is, is somewhat similar. Um, that, that's where they go. So these Jewish Christians are, um, these people from, you can see the island of Cyprus there in the, in the sea. And then way down the bottom left corner, that little tiny strip of green, that's about where Cyrene is. Okay? So that's where these people are from. They're Jewish. They're Christians. But they, they start going to people who are, have no connection to Israel's God at all. 
And they start telling these Gentiles about Jesus. What they're doing is they're being very strategic. They're in the third largest city in the Roman Empire, probably the most diverse city in the Roman Empire, and they're leaning in to the relationships they have with people who are not like them. I'm going to say that again. They're leaning in to the relationships they have with people who are not like them, who don't look like them, who come from different culture than they do, who maybe even grew up in their house speaking a different language than they do. And did you notice in verse 26, the text says it's the Antioch church where they're first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's huge. As our president says, that's huge. This is massive. You can't underestimate the emphasis of this. The most important thing that's said about this church is that they're like Jesus. You see, Antioch, in, in, in the time of Paul, that as a community, they had kind of a sense of humor that was just would take little digs at people. Not bad, not mean, not mean-spirited, but their sense of humor in that community was just a little kind of, they'd snipe at them just from a dig. Not mean, they weren't awful people. But they just kind of had that snarky, kind of just take a, a quick little shot at you, you know, kind of thing. It was just their sense of humor in the community. So what these people are doing is, oh yeah, those, those people, those Christian people, those Christian people, those, those Christians. They earned the nickname, y'all, because they were like Jesus. I can think of a lot of worse reasons to earn a nickname. It's, it's a nickname, it's what they've given them. And the text says that when some of these believers at Antioch begin to share the good news with the Gentiles, the text says God's hand was with them. Listen to me. Anytime you reach out in, or you become strategic in reaching out to people in relationship who are not like you, who are different from you in some way, then God's hand will be with you too. I want you to hear me. When you reach out to people who are different from you in some way, be the color of their skin, the culture they're from, their, their sexual identity, whatever, when you reach out to people who are not like you, then God's hand will be with you too. If you want to feel more of God's presence in your life, then you do what he did and you reach out to somebody not like you because isn't that essentially what Jesus' mission on earth was? We weren't like him at all, but he came down here and became like one of us. When you reach out to people not like you, when you build relationships strategically, intentionally with people who are not like you, God's hand will be on your life in a way you've never perceived before. And just like this church, it'll grow. It'll grow. Did you see that? In verse 24, when a church lives an authentically Christian life, when they really become like Jesus, man, word gets around. Huge numbers of people were becoming Christians. When a church lives like Jesus, it will grow, and it won't take the senior minister having a billion kids. can't do it all by myself, guys. Um, <laughs> I think it's especially noteworthy that Barnabas, who was the guy that bought, brought a recently converted Saul, later called Paul, into the fellowship in the Jerusalem church. Remember, that's what Barnabas did. It's the same Barnabas who goes to get Paul, who's back home in Tarsus, because the Jerusalem church said, you need to get out of here. You're causing too much trouble. He brings Paul into this church at Antioch. You see, part of the DNA of the church that Barnabas added was to intentionally seek out others that the culture would like to marginalize. I want you to hear me. What, Antioch, what the church at Antioch was doing was they were intentionally seeking out other people that their culture wanted to marginalize and push to the edge. 
Don't miss that. See, the church has to look like Jesus. And when we do that, it'll be a source of joy. In, in Acts 11.23, it says that this church who is living out God's plan for diversity, which the text says is the work of God's grace, that that church was a place of joy. It was focused on living out God's plan for them. Philip Yancey wrote, As I read the accounts of the New Testament church, no characteristic stands out more sharply than that of its diversity. He goes on to say, One modern Indian pastor, pastor from India, told me, he said, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, only Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, race, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. Listen, the application here is if we want to follow God's plan for diversity, we need to be strategic and intentional in developing relationships with people who are not like us in some way. Either the way they look, the culture they're from, the language they speak, the food they eat, the way they smell, whatever. Across the board. We need to invest in the relationships we already have. Every church that's ever existed had some kind of identity, and the church at Antioch had a great identity. They were known for reaching all different kinds of people. Everybody, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> do you remember when you were a kid? All skate, everybody in, all right? Everybody in the pool. That was this church, but they also had an identity. They were known for their preaching and teaching and the way that people use their gifts. Flip over a page to Acts 13 with me. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite little, just little chunks in, in the whole New Testament. Acts chapter 13. Look at this with me, starting in verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, that's King Herod. Tetrarch means ruler over a third, okay? So, the, Herod the Great, his kingdom got split up into three pieces. His son, Herod, this guy, took over one piece of it. That's who it is. Menaean grew up with a king. That was his best bud, all right? And Saul, Paul, same guy. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. There's a second blend that we need to see. Here's the second blend. It's a blend of culture and gifting. The church at Antioch knew how to blend their culture and the gifts that people have to become even more effective at reaching the lost. Antioch was a standout church when it comes to the, the preaching team. All right, it says that they had prophets, those were the preachers of the first century church, and uh, teachers, those were people who could explain the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, so they could, they could take the Old Testament and go, see, here's Jesus, see, here's Jesus, see, here's Jesus, see, here's Jesus. Over and over and over again, they could take the Old Testament and teach from it and show them where Jesus fits. And when it comes to their preaching and teaching, this church was just off the charts. They had, they had an incredible gifting in that area to reach their community. And because all those guys are active in it. Every one of those five guys is preaching and teaching. Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucius, Menaean, Saul, Paul, same guy. Five gifted preachers and teachers who also happen to be a pretty diverse group. Come from different cultures. And that's a great picture of what the church should be. It's a diverse body from diverse cultures using the gifts they have to spread the gospel. And so Antioch then becomes the sending church for Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip. It's also kind of home base for Paul for the rest of his ministry. In this church, Antioch, you've got lots of different cultures 
represented. Lots of different faces in this group. Now, I want you to think about these five guys, all right? You, first of all, you've got Paul and Barnabas. They're, they're Jewish. They're Semitic in their background. But even in the two of them, they come from different places, all right? Paul, the text says, Saul, Paul, same guy, was a tent maker from Tarsus. He worked in leather, worked in heavy canvas and cloth. He's a small businessman, right? It's, it's entirely possible that Paul funded the writing of the New Testament out of his own pocket because he had money, some, not a ton. He wasn't rich, but he did okay. You've got this guy. He's a small businessman, right? He's used to working in cities where there are markets. Barnabas, earlier in Acts, we learn out he's got land. He sells some of it, remember? He sells some land. What's that mean? He's a farmer. He, he's got livestock. So you've got, even though these guys are both Jewish, they're both Semitic in their background, Paul is a small businessman from the city. Barnabas is a landowner from the country. There's a difference there, okay? Then you've got this guy, um, Simeon, called Niger. Why did they call him Niger? He's black. That's why. In Latin, the N-I-G prefix means dark. He's a black guy. He's from Africa. That's why they called him that. So you've got this guy in their group. He, he got a, you got a black dude. Then you've got Lucius. Now, we don't have no idea what color this guy was. And that's okay. It says he's from Cyrene. He could, so maybe, you know, you look around, you see a, a Middle Eastern North African, someone from Morocco, someone from Libya, that maybe that's what Lucius looked like. We don't know for sure. Someone also from Africa, different culture, a little, little, further, a little, a little further to the fringe of the Roman Empire. And then you've got this guy, Menaean, Greek name. Don't know anything about him except that he grew up with a guy who became a king. What's that mean? He has money. He's rich. So think about the diversity of this group, right? You've got these two Jewish dudes, but one's from the city and one's a country boy, all right? Then you've got these two guys from Africa. One is black, another one who we don't even know. And then you've got a rich white guy, or whatever color he was. I don't know. It's incredibly diverse. And God is using all of them to preach the gospel in Antioch. Church, I believe we can change the conversation in our nation on this issue. We can do that when we learn to talk more about ethnicity and culture than race. See, here's where I'm at today. This is a theological conviction. There is only one race. Adam's race. Just one. If you're in a horrible car accident, God forbid, and you need a unit of blood, you're not going to ask what color that person was, are you? Like, did it come from a dog? No? Hook me up. <laughs> There's one race. And if you want more, we don't have time to go into all this today, but y'all, what, what separates us in terms of our DNA, what makes us look different, is like one hundredth of a percent of your DNA is what makes you look different from your neighbor down the street. That's it. So small. It's infinitesimal. And if you want to learn more about this, here's go on YouTube and search for One Race, One Blood by Ken Ham. It's, a, it's about an hour and ten minute lecture. There's different versions of it. He goes into all the science of it, and it's awesome. It's so affirming. You see God as creator and the way he designed it, and he designed the diversity right into the system. It's powerful. I, we don't have time to show it today. I wish we did, but you need to watch it. Do it on your own time, okay? It's awesome. Listen, despite all the diversity of ethnicity and culture, these people are using their gifts to serve the Lord together. When we use our gifts and we serve together, the things that divide us start shrinking into the background. They become less and less important. 
My friend Chris Dwelt is the missions professor at Ozark Christian College in Joplin. In fact, I went with his, uh, his son on a mission trip one time. And, and he recently wrote a blog. He's reflecting on the events in Charlottesville and, and, and trying to draw some kind of biblical context around that. And he references the argument that Peter and Paul had in Galatians chapter 2 on this issue of Jew-Gentile stuff. And he says this, Under the pressure of those who believed that the gospel belonged to their ethnic group and that everyone who wanted to be a follower of Christ had to first become a Jew, Peter had succumbed to what was familiar. He caved to the, to the comfortable. Today, we in the Western church run much the same risk. How do we view other ethnicities? Notice he didn't say races, ethnicities. Either here among us or distributed in the more than 16,000 people groups worldwide. The kingdom of heaven does not simply transcend all ethnic lines, nor does it erase them. Rather, the kingdom of heaven includes every ethnic line that exists in all of mankind. Listen, God in his sovereignty has seen fit to imprint different parts of his character seemingly onto different human cultures. And so what would happen, church, if we begin to gather all of those different parts of God's character represented by the different cultures around the world like Antioch did into one body? What if we could do that? What if we could bring together the the hospitality of the... the, um, the Middle Eastern church, and we could bring together the passion and the, the, the passion for life of the Latin American church, and we could, we could bring that together with the communal element and, and focus of the African church, and we could bring that together with the drive for excellence and, and, and doing things well with the Eastern church, and we could bring that together with the, the, the idea of freedom and individual responsibility of the Western and North American church. What would that look like? I don't know, but I want to go. I want to be part of that church. So I say we build it here. I say we start right here at 21st and Girls School Road and we build that church right here. I want to be part of that church. There's one more blend we need to see in the church of Antioch. Flip over a page to Acts 15. Maybe a couple pages, Acts 15. This is part of a much longer section. We don't have time to get into all of it, but we're, we're going to look at this together. Acts 15, starting verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. It's, even though it's north on the map, it's down in elevation, so that's why they say down. They came down to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Let me unpack that. What they mean is, unless you become racially and culturally Jewish. Okay. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they had reported everything God had done through them. Here's the third blend we need if we're going to be like this church and follow God's plan for diversity. We need the blend of dialogue and humility. We need to blend dialogue and humility. It's really the most important one we have. This church in Antioch knew how to have hard conversations with great humility. These guys come from Jerusalem. They're teaching these Gentile Christians something other than that was different from the gospel that they first believed. 
And Peter makes it clear that these guys who come down to Antioch from Judea, these so-called Judaizers, you can read more about them in Galatians 2, they went out without the authorization of the Jerusalem church. They, what they, they weren't supposed to be doing what they did. And Paul's going to have to argue with these guys for the rest of his ministry. They, they continued to be a thorn in his side. And make no mistake, this was an argument. Okay, The word translated debate there is one that meant to express forceful differences of opinion without necessarily having a presumed goal of seeking a solution. They are arguing. And I want to tell you, church, the only time it's okay for church to argue is when you're contending for the truth and purity of the gospel. That's the only time that's all right. But this church had figured out how to have hard conversations with humility. In the Antioch church, when they hear teaching that would threaten the unity and would threaten the powerful work of God to bring all these different cultures together, when they hear teaching that threaten that, they do the right thing. They talk about it. They bring it out in the open. It drives me nuts, church. I don't get it when people are like, this is a, it's the elephant in the room, right? We, everybody can see that this is an issue in our culture, right? Shake your head. Okay, can we just talk about it, please? That's what this church does. It's brilliant. <laughs> we got to get better at that. See, there have been issues on, there have been parts of this issue, in my understanding, that have changed for me over the years because I sat down across the table and I had a conversation with somebody who didn't look like me, who didn't come from the same background I did. Right? Middle class, white guy, grew up in a small town. My town growing up was 92% white. <laughs> now, my parents, and I praise God for them, made sure that we were in a, a, a life group, a small group, with a black family so that we would understand what it's like to talk to people who weren't like you. And because of my dad's connection with the school, we got to meet people from all over the world. And it was a huge blessing, and it, it shaped me, it formed me we got to do this. we got to have conversations with people that aren't like us. But I want you to notice what this church does. Did you see what they do? They send people to Jerusalem to confirm what they're doing. Here's the thing. They're right. They know they're right. They're seeing, remember, the hand of God is on them. They're experiencing blessings like crazy. They know they're right. But they're humble. And so they say, well, let's go talk to the apostles. Remember, Scripture hadn't been written yet. Now we have this. But at the time, what they had was the men who knew Jesus, who, who spent three years being trained by Jesus. And they said, let's go talk to them. Let's go make sure. We, we believe we're right. Let's go make sure. And so with great humility, they check with the apostles. They have this dialogue with humility. In a 2007 documentary by National Geographic Channel called In God's Name, they interviewed Dr. Rowan Williams. At the time, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said this, I believe that the Christian faith is true. I believe that what is revealed in Jesus Christ is the truth about God. But that does not make me feel that I must now force everyone to accept that. It means I'm grateful for what I've been given, that I'd love to share it. There's the evangelistic impulse. That also I need to know that other people have come to their faith by a route that deserves my respect. So we talk to one another. We listen to one another. We have our convictions. We have our firm commitments to truth. But that does not mean violence. <laughs> and in stereotypically understated British way, he says, I think we can live together. 
So I want us to apply this today. Ike, will you come join me, please? Um, I thought it would be the height of hypocrisy to talk about diversity today, but only hear the perspective of a white guy. So would you join us, please? We want to have a chance just to, to practice what we're preaching today uh, and talk about this. Um, so Ike's, uh, many of you have seen, we've actually shared the stage before, but we were playing instruments. Um, so I'm excited to share the stage and, and preach together uh, in as much as possible to try to replicate what this, uh, this church in Antioch was doing. Um, so speaking of the text, when you read this, what jumps out to you? What just jumps off the page to you? The main thing that jumps off to me from, from these scriptures is just the inclusiveness mm -hmm. that they have and the intentional just drive that they have towards getting, getting towards other people. It's not just one group. It's not just one, one ethnicity. It's, mm -hmm. They're trying to get everyone. They're trying to bring everyone to the same God, to, yeah. the, same, to the same Jesus. And mm -hmm. that's something that reigns true today. Every, I think that every Christian should try to bring everyone, everyone that they encounter, every single ethnicity, every, every single person that they talk to, if they're open to it, bring them to Jesus. Because that's the only thing that's going to like, keep us together. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, again, elephant in the room. Um, this whole thing in Charlottesville. How are you processing that? Like, where, where are you at on that? Charleston, um, I, was, I wasn't here when all that happened. I was, yeah, Ike was traveling with the band, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and when I heard about it, I, I wasn't surprised to hear it because it's something that, I mean, it's just been swept under the rug. It's, a, it's, it's like you said, people like to keep the elephant in the room. They don't like to talk about it. They don't like to mm -hmm. burst the bubble. They, but <laughs> the, if, if we want change, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about the differences that we have. We got to talk about why you do this and why I do that, you know, um, because otherwise you're just going to have things like that. And it, it's really sad and it hurts my heart to see things happen like that. Like, I can't say I'm surprised. Mm. You know? We had a chance to have coffee this week. Um, we we're talking a little bit about, uh, there's this whole, we don't have time for it today, but there's this whole other aspect where you read Romans 14. And Paul talks about the weaker brother, stronger brother thing. And he talks about this offends somebody, and if it does, maybe I don't need to do that. And so that, just, again, read it on your own time, but that plays a part here too, I think. Just in going, man, we're, we're brothers. We don't, if this hurts you, I'm going to not do that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I think that pertains on it too. Um, so what are some ways, just help us think through from your perspective, we can be strategic in building relationships with people from either a different ethnicity or different cultural background, or how are some ways that we can do that? Like, because Ike's really good at it. I don't know if you know that, but this guy, if you want to know what, the, what that looks like, you talk to him. So how, you help us. How do we do that? Um, there, there are a lot of things that you can do as an individual, but one thing that I, I think everyone, I, even I can still do it, like the main thing that's going to get you a relationship is being open, being open to everything and anything that they have to say, listening to them, and just trying to understand why they do the things they do, why, and they'll do the same thing 
because that's just humans. That's what we like to do. We like mm-hmm. to listen to each other. And um, if, if you're open with the person next to you, they're, they're most likely going to open up back, you know? And that's how you get a relationship started. Yeah. And that, just from that moment, you've, you could have impacted their life tremendously because you're the first person that actually listened to what they had to say yeah. and actually underst- understood because you kept your mind open. You, mm-hmm. you, you understand why they, why they do this yeah. thing. It's risky, isn't it? Yeah. There's a risk to it. I mean, you know, these people in the text, the first time a Jewish Christian goes and talks to a Gentile, you know, the guy's, you know, munching a bacon cheeseburger. He's freaking out, you know, like, um, but, but yeah, you've got to be open to, to having those conversations. Um, how, how, from your perspective, we talked about using our gifts in the culture. What's, what's that look like for you? Um, for me, uh, we, we all have our thing. We all have the... Oh, I like to watch movies. I like to play golf. I, li- I like to watch football. For me, it's it's music. That's a, I've I've played with people from all across the all across the, gro- the globe. You know, I played from played with people from Japan, people from Ireland, people from Germany, and we're all there because of the love of music. And if you can find, if you you can find that just within your community, you can, it, that person down the street that you've never talked to, that looks differently, that looks different from you, you two could m- most likely bond on something like, oh, did you watch the game last night or anything like that? You know, it's 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 the little it, again that that's the that's another big point. It's the little things that starts everything. It's the little things that start relationships it's little things that starts love yeah. You know, so yeah so um how do you maintain a, a humility when you're dialoguing with people you know that are different from from you i mean how do you keep that level of just openness and humility um what i told you at starbucks was just like <laughs> it's it's authentic love you know authentic love is not f- faked it's you can't fake it People know when you're faking something, and, uh, yeah. you know they, they can tell if you care or not, and it, it's it's just really important to put authentic love in front of everything because that that's that's what God does for us. Hmm. It it's just like it goes back to the Charleston thing. Like us as a church, we need to be united as a church, and if we are divided within the church, then how can we reach out to people? That aren't that don't know Jesus, so the 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 only way the only way we can do that is by following in His footsteps and showing authentic love to everyone, everyone around you. No matter if you agree with what they're doing or not, that's a that's a different subject. But if you show authentic love like Jesus showed us, and He gives us chance after chance after chance, that like. Possibilities are endless. Awesome. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Um, when we were talking about how to respond to this today, it, it seemed like the best way to do that would be to celebrate communion together. So I want to have our servers go to the back at this time. Um, <laughs> you know, the ground at the cross is level. 
It doesn't matter where you come from. You need Jesus. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It's just like what Ike was saying. Everybody needs that. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your culture is. You need Jesus. And so as we think about how to respond to this message today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Our servers are going to pass the emblems. I would ask that you hold both of them. Hold the bread, hold the juice, and the bread representing Jesus' body, the juice representing his blood. Uh, and and, and we're gonna, as they're passing, we're going to sing together a song. The band is going to lead us. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll partake together of both elements. So uh, guys, if you want to come, and then let's, uh, let's sing. Father's 